You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. And pastor here, but for our kids, our, our little kids who have not had summer camp for like, I think it's three or four years because COVID kind of took that from them. This is one of the first years we have the ability to offer kids camp for our kids. Uh, so if you have younger kids, I think what's something that's very important is that it's going to be really close by here in Canby at Canby Grove. So they won't be far, and you can tell your kids who might be a little bit worried, uh, you won't be far, we'll be close, and you can, their home is always a phone call away. So we really want to encourage students and kids to get signed up for camp this year because so many good things happen at camp. Uh, we had students last year who decided to be baptized at camp. Uh, we had students uh, last year who uh, rededicated their lives to the Lord. We had students who were baptized in the Holy Spirit at camp. So many good things happen at summer camp. And we're, I'm really grateful. I know Annette is as well. This church has a rich history and a love for sending the next generation off to camp to have the Lord speak to them. So thank you for partnering with us in that. Uh, well, this morning I want to announce really quick as well that Pastor Ron Swar is not with us, as you can tell, I'm here. Uh, he's actually at the Canby Alliance Church here in town, celebrating Pastor Tim Barton as he is, this is, today is his retirement service uh, for him at his church. He has been pastoring there as the youth pastor for four years and the senior pastor for 37 years. And I know that's an amazing, amazing testament to faithfulness. And the beauty of this is that Ron and Tim have been able to have one of the closest friendships over the last 15-ish years or, or more, as they have done ministry in the same town and partnered together uh, in churches to get our churches together and minister together. And so we are, he is lucky enough to get to be there for Tim uh, and support him this morning. So thank you for allowing him to be there and allowing me to be here up this morning. So really quick, would you join me? I would like to pray as we open up God's Word this morning. So Lord, I pray that uh, today... Your word would be, uh, would just, we would see something new. Lord God, I pray that as we, we'd speak through it or we read through it, Lord, it wouldn't just be a Bible or a book, Lord, but it would be your living word. It would be your truth in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, so I'm going to ask a question because today we're, I want to talk about the character and the plans of God. And if you want to follow along, we have our sermon notes online. You can use the QR codes on the screens and you can access uh, our sermon notes there, but I want to ask the question, why are the book of Judges even in the Bible? Has anyone ever, if you've read through the book of Judges before, it's not the, the, the cleanest book. Um, you think that uh, we serve a God who's very loving, uh, very caring, but then you read the book of Judges and you're like, what on earth is happening in the book of Judges? I get why Psalms is in the Bible, because there's verses like, your steadfast love endures forever. Can I get an amen for that? But then you get in Judges, and you're just like, what in the world is going on in this book? God's people were kind of messed up, and the stories are pretty messed up. And they're, they're in the Bible. Most of the stories are, are, we find in the book of Judges are probably not appropriate for like the kids' Bibles we read to our children at night, except for like maybe Gideon which Gideon's kind of a cute story, like they banged pots and pans together and the enemy attacked themselves and it was all good and victory. But the rest of the judges are kind of crazy. We see some weird stuff, like for instance, uh, Ehud in chapter three, where he, the people of Israel send him with a knife to assassinate the king who's been ruling over them. 
you know, and he hides it on his right thigh because he's left-handed. Like, what? And then even, like, just after that, you see a guy named Shamgar who his whole claim to fame is one verse in the book of Judges, and it just says, after Ehud came Shamgar, who slayed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And that's the only mention of Shamgar. That's it. (laughs) If that was the only mention of my name in the Bible, I'd be okay with it too. But (laughs) the book of Judges is messy. And we see the brokenness of God's people in the book of Judges. Uh, We see their idolatry. We see this on their sin on repeats. It's like being stuck in a revolving door. You can't get out of it. Like their sin, their idolatry, their brokenness on repeat for a whole book. And it's easy to be confused as to why this book is in the Bible until we begin to see our own stories matching up with the stories found in Judges. Yeah, we got really quiet there, didn't we? <laughs> we begin to see our own brokenness in these stories. We begin to see our, uh, and understand, we get, begin to see our, our sin a little bit replicated in these stories. We see our idolatry a little bit when we read these stories. We begin to understand that these are just stories about people and what people do. These stories are perfect examples of who God is and what he is like. God's character is deeply revealed in the book of Judges. And so, uh, the character of God is rooted, church, in grace and truth. Those are two words. A lot of the other words can fall under those, or you could even add more. But when we look at God, we, there's two things that we really love about God, is that he's very gracious, and he always speaks the truth. He's always just. God understood that these stories were required for us to fully understand the narrative he was writing when he, all throughout human history, was preparing the world for Jesus. And since Jesus came, as we've been praying the world for Jesus is coming again, he's been writing this narrative. And the narrative that culminated with that son, Jesus being sent into darkness, into brokenness, and into stories like ours, where he faced the valley of the shadow of death, and even death itself for us. Judges, uh, like the rest of the Old Testament, was intended for us to cast our vision forward, onto Jesus and realize how deeply we needed a Savior. And that's why Judges is in the Bible. You're welcome. You can all go home. (laughs) Just kidding. We have more. Today, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 4, where we see an interaction between uh, a woman named Deborah and a man named Barak, or Barak, however you want to say his name. And so in this passage, it contains uh, like the varsity level of biblical name pronunciation. So bear with me here as we're going to read this. There's going to be a lot of names and a lot of locations and I'm going to do my best. I'm kind of like JV swinging varsity right now, speaking for Ron. So if you got a Bible, we're going to open up to Judges chapter 4. We're going to read through the most of this chapter, but we're going to stop every now and then and talk about what we're reading and why it's important to us. So Judges chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 here in a second. It says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hashereth Hegoyim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now, verse 4, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. And this is really good because so the Lord's people again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The word, I'm not going to try and do a crazy word study here on the word again. I'm just going to tell you that he says again, because this is definitely not the first time. (laughs) 
You know, we could do like, the Hebrew says this. No, like the word again is there because it's just again. This is, this is happening for about the third time since the book of Judges has started that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And again and again, you read the book of Judges, you'll see this theme, that there is a repetition of again, the Lord's people chose to deny him. When we, when we once fall back into the sin we just can't seem to overcome, church, we tend to realize that is when we need God the most. But how do you, does, does this resonate with anyone sitting in here or listening online today? Is that when you are trying to overcome something, you feel like you finally have, but then you slide back into it again. I'm sure God's people really thought that when he had rescued them and things were going really good, they were like, yes, God's good. We're never going to fall back again into not following God. And then a new chapter starts in the book of Judges, and it's again they did evil in the sight of the Lord. I know I've been here in my life. I know I've been on a, a cycle of repetition, and it's hard to escape from. Um, even though what we see is a continued repetition of they did evil in the sight of the Lord, what happens behind the scenes is this, is we see that God keeps watching them. Despite their evil, despite their separation that they chose, he was still considering them. He's still present. Our sins and our brokenness, church, do not turn God away from us. Let's get, like, I mean, there was one amen. Let's get rowdy when we think about the fact that no matter what we do, God is still watching you. He's still considering you. He's still present with you. Even when you have said to him, I don't need your help anymore, he's still watching you to see what you're doing. He's still listening for your call. What a beautiful verse and de depiction of God's grace that his people repeatedly did evil, but God was still present with them and moving in their lives. Because God reveals himself as a God who holds the line of morality, and yes, he was still looking at them. And when we begin to understand the scriptures, church, we see that God is good, and he's the one who defines what is good. He sets the agenda and the definition of right and good, and he does this because he is truth. He won't speak falsely. He won't speak evil. He, what he does is he speaks the truth. This is why so many of God's laws and commandments are found. I love this. And like our society today, our society is still built off of so many of the laws and commandments that God gave his people. Like, don't kill people. I like that one. I'm a big fan of that one. Thank you. From his character, the church has revealed this morality. And so obviously the people of God, Israel, did not live up to his standards of righteousness. So God takes it one gracious step further. Because goodness is not just evident in God's character, it is revealed and also made clear in his word, in the Bible. God calls us to live a life anchored in the truth, and truth was so, pre like, so important to him that he, he did put in his Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not tell a lie, thou shalt not lie. His goodness is set by his character and his word, and his word and his character are so tied to who he is and so much that to reject God's character or to reject his word is to reject him himself. So when the people of God did evil in the sight of the Lord, they were really saying, we have a different God now. That different God was themselves and their own self-identification. The people of God rejected him and replaced him with themselves, and so this is what idolatry really is, replacing God with a false concept of what is true. 
In verse 2, we see that the response of God towards his people who have said to him, we don't want you to be our God anymore, and we don't want to be your people. So he gives them over to someone else and to be someone else's people. God says, you don't want to be my people, I'll let you be someone else's people, and we'll see how much you enjoy being someone else's people. And isn't it interesting that often consequences are exactly what we ask for by our lack of character, our lack of truth, and our lack, all that lived out through sin. That really hurt me to say, like that kind of dug deep a little bit. Our lack of character, our lack of observation of the truth usually leads to the consequences that are exactly where we're walking towards, but we just don't realize it. We don't like talking about consequences. We like talking about blessings. But without this, without the surrender, it's hard to get to the blessing. The people of God began to get this because we see in verse 3, the people cried out to God for help. They realized that the blessing was gone because the surrender was gone. And so they cried out to God for help. And God's people finally began to confess their sins and seek forgiveness and make a plan to repent. This is way different. Repentance is way different, church, than saying sorry. Because sorry communicates an emotion. Repentance communicates who your true Lord is. When we apologize to someone for hurting their feelings, that's one thing we do emotionally. But when we repent, we're saying, I admit I am not your equal. I admit that I am not as great as you, and I would like to turn the other way and go towards where you are. God's people waited 20 years to say that their way was not better. Can I give you some advice this morning? Don't wait 20 years. But if you're in this room right now and you have waited maybe 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or however many years it's been, the good news for you is that the God who created everything, who is the same God in the, who appeared to his people here, is watching you. And he sees you, he's listening for you to say, God, I need your help. And when you do that, when you cry out to the Lord for, the help, for help, the Lord is faithful to meet you. Ultimately, you know, God's people finally began to confess that, to seek forgiveness and make a plan to repent. And, you know, they, they begin to go forward. And they know that the situation, they cannot free themselves. They are trapped and they are caught in these, their own sinful consequences. So they call it to someone who's not affected directly by their sin, but is affected very deeply by their sin. You know, they call out to someone who's not bound by their sin like they are and their shame, but who cares very deeply about their sin and their shame, church. They cry out to the Lord because they have distress and they feel distance from God. You know, moms and dads in the room, or if you've ever been, had to deal with the consequences of your actions ever, I'm sure no one in this room has ever had to do that. Um, but moms and dads in the room especially, when you have to scold or maybe punish a child for doing wrong, your child tends to feel distance from you, and you tend to feel distance from them because that relationship is under stress. And with stress comes distance. You know, we put our son in timeout this morning, and he did not enjoy it. And there was some stress, there was some distress there. But afterwards, when we come back together and he re we realize how we have, we have a conversation and he realizes what the purpose behind things are, we come together and the distress goes away. But it's only when we come back together. Now, the great thing about all this that I know we've, we've been talking for a while on literally just three or four verses, but the good thing about this is in verse four, it says this, now Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time. 
Deborah had already been called by God. She was already bringing about the peace and the truth and the grace of God into the people of Israel before they cried out to God for help. And see, this is really great because God had already put someone in place to bring redemption for his people. He was just merely waiting for them to cry out for that redemption. He was waiting for this people to cry out. I wonder if God's plan is already in place in your life right now. It's already in place in my life, and he's only waiting for his people to cry out to him. See, God is, he's always ahead of the game. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. He's always in this perfect spot to do something in your life when you need him. But we also have to step into our part of the equation and say, God, I need your help. Are you crying out to the Lord today? The plan is already in motion. He's just waiting for his people to ask him to step into it. We're going to read verses uh, five through eight, and we're going to figure out exactly how God does this. This is we're going to read, again, finish the chapter today, but this is such a fun conversation between Deborah and Barak. So verses 5 through 8 say, says this. Um, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her and to have um, their disputes decided. So she sent for, for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Nephtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Nephtali and Zebulun and lead them to the Mount Tabor. I will uh, lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And so in verse 8, it says this Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. And see, See, Barak had, had been given command as a leader of the armies to go out and to meet the enemy who was oppressing them. And I think this would have been, even you, you see the number 10,000 men, and that's a very large number. But if you look at history and you look at the way chariots or horsemen or cavalry against not mounted units, and it usually was a bloodbath. It usually meant if you were coming against a force that was mounted and you were not, you stood no chance, despite however many numbers you had. And so, Barak is sitting here going, I've got 10,000 men, but I know this guy has 900 chariots of iron, and I'm not going to go if you don't go with me. The will, I want to say this too. The will of God is that we would submissively obey the word of God. And I love this because, uh, <laughs> you know, we see that when God tells us to go, we can trust that he's going to go with us. Barak has been commanded to go. Through Deborah, God's like prophetess, his judge at the time, he picked her to bring this message to, to Barak. And Barak says, I'm only going to go, though, if you go. Church, can I tell you, if God tells you to go do something, he's going to go with you. Because Barak is concerned, I'm not going to go unless, the, unless you, Deborah, the Lord, goes with me. Um, I want to read this verse out of Psalms, actually, because there's a psalmist that really, really brings a beautiful depiction of what it looks like to believe the word and the depiction of truth. It's found in Psalms 119. It's verses 105 through 112. And yes, if you've never read Psalm 119, take a day and sit down and read it because it'll take you a day. It's very long, but it says this. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered praise, uh, much preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. 
The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I love what the psalmist says here because it's all about, I'm going to cling to your truth. I'm going to cling to what you said, and I'm going to trust it. Church, what does it look like to trust the word of God, to trust the truth of God in your life today? The psalmist understood what living by the truth looked like, that God's truth will light our way will direct us and will guide us. And so the word of God is clear. It's, it's our obedience he is waiting for. This is what, this is what Deborah does. We all, we all need a friend like Deborah. Can you, you find yourself a good Deb in your life to, like, to bring around you? Because we all need a good Deborah. A friend who knows the word of God and who has the boldness to tell us when we need to go. She communicates this to, to Barak, and his response is, I'm only going to go if you go. And this is what's great about Deborah. She not only is willing to communicate the word of God, but she's also willing to have the courage to walk it out with her friend. She doesn't leave him. She doesn't say, I'm going to tell you to go. And when he says, come with me, she's like, no, you just need to go. We just went through Easter, and Ron has told like so many stories. We've seen stories when we see new believers or believers making their faith their own and really trying to live it out and walk out their faith. Now is the time to walk through faith with people, church. Now, we are disciples of Jesus who are tasked with making disciples of Jesus. That's what our church is all about. That's what we say. We're disciples making disciples. And discipleship making doesn't look like saying, this is the ABC you need to go and do. Go do it. It looks like Jesus's model where he called people with him and he said, walk with me. Let me show you how to do this. This is what, that's what Jesus did. This is what Deborah does. She walked it out with Barak, and she went with him. New believers, and really all believers, don't need to be only told what they are supposed to do. We need to be shown how to do something right. We all need to be shown what God has called us to do sometimes. To fully obey the God, the Word of God, we also have to remember how important it is to live out the Word of God. And I want to actually do this really quick. Let's address uh, the Deborah issue here. Yes, she was a woman. I'm going to say, yes, she's leading God's people. And yes, she's also right where she was supposed to be. Leading. There are a few verses in the New Testament that have been taken out of context from our favorite zealot Paul, okay, who that might contradict this. But people like to take these verses out of context, fold them up and shape them and twist them and do biblical origami and present something that doesn't actually say what it was meant to say. They no longer carry their original meaning. Because I, I know we see throughout the entire Bible women leading and speaking. And I love Deborah, that Deborah is included in the judges because it just shows that God trusted a woman to lead his people. And see, I don't think, man, I'm going to speak to you for a second. I don't think a man truly becomes a godly man until he's learned how to listen to a godly woman. Ladies, you can get excited about this. That's okay. No one's going to judge you. Men, our sin is that we are so obsessed with leading and being in charge that we don't take time to listen. Husbands in the room, sons in the room, I'm talking to you. Listen to the godly woman the Lord has put in your life. He has given you them. Wives, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, you, men, we need to lead through them. Because we have a problem that our sin and our rebellion against God and his design that men and women were both created in the image of God. The same. As men, we should learn to listen. And now, ladies, okay, your turn. 
Notice when De- what Deborah does, because now I'm talking to you ladies. This is what Deborah does in verse 9, okay? Her response to Barak is great. Verse 9, it says this, Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Gadesh. But despite what she says to him, what's amazing is that she does not tell him how wrong he is. She does not gloat over him and tell him, I told you so. She does not tell him the situ- how the solution was right in front of him the whole time, like the bottle of ketchup in the fridge. <laughs> she doesn't tear him down. She does not speak falsely or negatively over him. She simply tells Barak what God has said. Ladies, help the men in your life by being a godly woman who leads from the word of God. Be a godly woman who leads from the truth of God. The men in your life will follow you when you lead from the word of God. Exactly as Deborah did. And so Barak follows Deborah into battle, the two of them leading God's people, and it's a fun story. This is what happens. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Uh, This is what happens starting in verse 12. When they... they told Sisera and Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone to up to Mount Tabor, Sisera, that bad guy, if you can't keep track of names, summoned from Hishoroth Higoyim to the Kishon River all his men and 900 chariots filled with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So, so Barak went down to, from Mount Tabor and with 10,000 men following him at Barak's advance, the Lord turned, routed Sisera and all his chariots an army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. God delivers those who sought to do evil against his people into their hands, and all of this because they were willing to say yes when God said go. It's a beautiful story, but what would happen, maybe, church, I want to challenge you, when your life, if God said go, and you, you went, and you said yes, because we see the first time God says go to Barak, he says, I'm only going to make sure, I'm only going to go if you're with me. But the second time God says go, he goes. He learned from his mistakes. He learned his lesson that when God says go, he means it. And then Deborah even makes sure to tell him, has not the Lord gone before you? And so we see the end of this story. Actually, we're going to skip down to verses 16. We're going to skip around a little bit just to save us from reading a bunch of names. Uh, But verse 16, it says this. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Heshoeth Hegoyim, so where they were camped, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the, Ke- the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. So it says this. So she, he went into her tent to escape, but this is what happens. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly in while he was fast asleep, exhausted, So she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Yeah, he died. He's dead. This is what I mean. Like, judges can be kind of messed up. He's definitely dead. Just then, Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. And I feel like I don't know why they needed to specify the fact twice that he was dead, 
But yes, he was in fact very dead. And this is, this is what you see throughout the book of Judges, church. You see people broken. You see people learning. You see people doing their best to follow God. And then some crazy stuff happens. And then we see God come through. And it's just another story of our lives that we're living right now. God delivers on his promise, too. God did not, or Barak did not receive the glory from that battle. God did. I think sometimes God protects us from our own selves. Sometimes we want to do something for ourselves, or sometimes we're being selfish, or sometimes we're thinking, how can I get some glory from doing this great thing, when in all reality, all the glory belongs to the Lord? I think God protects us from ourselves. When sometimes we say, God, uh, we say yes to God because it means something really good is waiting for us, like a light at the end of the tunnel. We're like, I'll say yes to that, God, because I know when I walk through that, it's going to be really good, and I'm going to look really good. But the Lord is saying, no, I want you to say yes to that because you know that I'm going to look really good. God says the glory is mine, and he deserves it, church. God chooses to use us as instruments of his kindness for his glory. All this, this whole story unfolds, and we get to see the God of the Bible on full display in one chapter found in the book of Judges. We see the God who is full of grace and mercy, but who's also full of truth. And we need both attributes to see God for who he truly is. Because see, God is not only the God of grace and mercy and not the God of truth, or vice versa, only the God of truth, but with no, with no grace. If he's the God of only truth, and all we, or all we see God is as the God of truth, we focus too much on the rules, the laws, and we become far too religious on the practice of it. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees from the book of John we've just been studying through. If we're only caring about the truth that God has spoken, we have no room for the grace. And if we only care about the grace and the mercy of God, which are great, we don't understand how we're not allowed to take ownership of ourselves or our identities as our own and not God's. Because God says we are his, he's given us an identity, we are a child of God, and he created us in his image to do good works and to point the world back to him. But if we don't focus on the truth and we only focus on the grace of the mercy church, we, get, we fall into the trap that is we can identify ourselves, we are in charge of ourselves, we are our own, we are not God's. Because our faith may be a personal thing, but it's not a private thing for us to define and articulate how we want. It is something that God has given us. And it's our submissiveness and letting go of our pride and saying, I don't know better. I'm not my own God. I want to follow you. This is what the Israelites were stuck in on, on a repetitious, sorry, a repetitious, whatever word that is I'm trying to say, a repetitive cycle. There it is. That wasn't in my notes. That's why I didn't say it right. We are stuck on this repetitive cycle of we are our own. Okay, no, now we belong to God's because things are bad. Okay, things are good. We're on, we belong to, we're our own again. We belong to ourselves. Now things are bad. So we'll, we'll make sure we go back to belonging to God again. It would be way easier to stay over here and just admit that we belong to God. But church, where are you at today? In, in this story, are you perhaps a Deborah, which everyone needs a good Deborah. Come on. Or are you maybe a Barak? Are you needing to hear 
the truth so that you can have courage to go when God says go? Are you needing someone to come to you and say, hey, this is the day the Lord has given you. This is the day the Lord has made for you. And that truth is true every day. If you don't have a Deborah in your life, it doesn't have to be a woman named Deborah, by the way. If you don't have someone in your life who's willing to tell you to go or willing to say, this is what God has said, he's calling you up to something new, find one. Or perhaps maybe you're being called to speak the truth into some other, someone else's lives that need to see the mercies and the truth of God's plan ready and waiting for them, and they're just stuck and they need to be told to go. Do you know anyone in your life like that who you can see God's got some really awesome stuff in store for, but they just won't take the step to go. Um, Psalms 33 verse 11 says this. It says, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Can we get an amen to that? Through all generations. His plans and his purposes and his hearts stand firm. Let's leave here this morning with full hearts, church. Hearts that are set on God and determined to accept his truth and his grace. Not one or the other, not the one that we like better, because some of us might really like the grace part of God better, some of us must, might really like the truth part of God better, but we have to learn how to, some of the husbands and wives are like, yeah, I'm a grace, you're a truth. We have to have both. I mean, that's beauty, that's why we, we come together. We need to accept both. When we combine these two things, the miraculous happens, church. When we combine God's grace with his truth, miracles happen. When we combine his grace with his truth, freedom happens. When we combine these two things, deliverance happens. This story is evidence of that and many, many more in the Bible. Combining these two sets of God's plan in motion, be, uh, sorry, be, combining these two things sets God's plan in motion because in this we cannot help but cry out to the Lord who is our source of life, our source of truth, and our source of salvation through grace and our faith in Him. When we combine His grace with His truth, we will see that our lives will be forever changed. We will see that the lives of people around us will be forever changed. And we will see that the world can be changed. But it starts with us realizing we don't get to own ourselves. We don't get to decide who we are. God does. And we don't get to decide what's true. God does. He tells us what's good. And if we are willing to submit, if we're willing to be faithful to say, your way is better, not mine, then we're right where God has planned us to be for the miraculous to happen, for his plan to set, be set in motion, and for people to be set free. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Church, would you pray with me this morning as we, we close? Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. God, that this message would be so clear. Help us to live this, help us to live this out, Lord. However that looks like for ourselves, I'm not, we cannot dictate it for others, Lord, but however that looks like for us as individuals, help us to live out your grace and your truth in our lives, and let's bring those two things together, Lord. Help us to focus on not one or the other, but both as well. Lord, I pray that we would speak truth into other people's lives through grace who need it. Lord, and I pray that we would be open to hear your truth through grace in our lives when we need it. Lord, help us be a people that is gracious and loving, forgiving and caring. Lord, that changes the world through your character and your plans that you've already set in motion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. 
You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.